The past uh, uh, few weeks we've been in a spiritual discipline study. Uh, we have talked about, uh, we talked about the discipline of Bible intake. Last week we talked about the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Tonight we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. And, uh, you know, prayer, it, it, all these disciplines are kind of like, yeah, we, we know we should be doing them. Uh, the problem is, even though we know we should be doing them, we, we are inconsistent at best at doing them. Uh, we, we struggle with consistency in our life. We have the ebbs and flows of where we, where we pursue them, and then we kind of fall off. It, it's like with anything. Uh, every, you know, within, I think they said 90% of New Year's resolutions, uh, they give up by, the, by February, end of February. You know, we start strong, right? We're going to do this. We're going to be faithful, and then life gets in the way. And then it turns, in, it turns from a desire to now it turns into a chore. And, and, and so we have to stay consistent. But tonight we're going to talk about prayer. Uh, in New Mexico, you'll find the largest radio receiver on earth. It's a series of 28 satellite dishes that each dish is about 82 foot in circumference. And there's 28 of them. And, and the whole purpose of this is they're called VLA. It's called the VLA, VLA system, which means very large array. And, and basically these satellite dishes will uh, receive faint radio frequencies from space. And like that's its whole purpose, to collect information, radio frequencies from space. And so astronomers all over the world will come to this location to do studies and to analyze the images and information that these systems get uh, from space. And you might be thinking, why is such a large system needed to, to communicate and receive these images from space? Because out of all the radio frequencies that has been, uh, has been collected from outer space, uh, if you were to weigh them and, and kind of approximate it, it would come out to uh, about the force of a single snowflake hitting the earth. Like it's so minimal, so faint, these signals. And so they have this large system to collect all this information. And the whole purpose is so that maybe they can hear and see something from space they've never seen or heard before. That's the whole purpose of this system. And I'm thinking, man, science and scientists are trying their hardest to get a message from space. And yet God, the creator, has already spoken so clearly to us. And, And they're doing everything they can to try to get a message. And yet God has already spoken so clearly a more sure word of prophecy to us through his son, Jesus. And we have this access to God. We have we have the ability to communicate with God the Creator. And He's invited us to have this communication with us. And you got to think about the magnitude of that. The God who at one time spoke into existence everything that we know and see. Uh, Just a word. He said, let there be light and there's light. Uh, Where there's never been an existence of a star or a planet, He spoke it into existence. And yet that very same God wants to have intimate fellowship with you. That That should humble you. And so I want to talk about this spiritual discipline of prayer. And, and you might notice a trend with all these disciplines. Usually the first point on why that discipline is important is usually it starts out with it is expected. And so I'm not going to change it a bit. And today we're going to talk about why, uh, why it's important to pray. Well, number one, prayer is expected. It's expected. Uh, on your handout... On on A, uh, we see that Jesus expects us to pray. He expects us to pray. And so if we only view prayer as an impersonal requirement, like a a task that we have to check off our to-do list, 
then, then we don't enjoy prayer. But if you look at it as an invitation from the Lord Jesus himself to have fellowship with him, it should change our desire a little bit. That we have the authority, that Jesus Christ, who in all authority and love, has now expected his followers, his disciples to pray. And we can find that throughout the scriptures. You find it in Matthew 6, 5. He says, and when thou prayest. In Matthew 6, 6, he says, but thou, when thou prayest. In Matthew 6, 7. But when you pray, Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Luke eleven nine. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I think there's an expectation there. That if you're a follower of Jesus, he's expecting his followers, his disciples to pray. Because he says, when you pray, when you pray, you should always pray. Men ought always to pray. And, and, and let me think, let, just picture this, picture this. Let's say one day you're at your house. You're in your living room. And the physical, tangible Jesus Christ is standing right before you. And he calls you by name. And he says, Malcolm, I want you to pray. He, he says, Denver, I want you to pray. Hunter, I want you to pray. He calls you by name. It says, I want you to pray. How motivated would you be to pray? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'd be like right down on your knees right then, wouldn't you? Now, I want you to understand that the physical, tangible Jesus is the one who wrote this and spoke that all those times in Scripture. And he says, basically, if you're a follower of mine, I want you to pray. I expect you to pray. And so the desire and the motivation to pray should not be any different when we're reading it from Scripture. Like it should be something that is pounding on our heart to say, okay, I, I need to do this. I want to do this. And, and so we, we need to understand that there's an expectation to pray because Jesus himself expects it from his followers. And, and B, God's word commands us to pray. God's word commands us to pray. Uh, I'm just going to take two examples from scripture. Colossians chapter four, verse two, Paul is writing. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer. and what, so that, that, The phrase continue in prayer, it, it means devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Everybody in this room and out there at Fairview and watching online, you are devoted to something. Most of us are devoted to a lot of things. You're devoted to your family. You're devoted to your hobbies. You're devoted to your job. You're devoted to this church. There's a lot of things you devote yourself to. And, and one sure way to find out if you're devoted to something is if you're sacrificing anything for it, if you're giving time for it, are you making a priority of it? Are you sacrificing for it? Are you making time for it? Or are you making it a priority? Those are three indications that it is a, uh, 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 you're, you're devoted to that. And so ask yourself, are you really devoted to prayer? Are you sacrificing for it? Are, are, you, are, are you making it a priority? Are you giving time to it? So God expects we see it through Scripture. God expects Christians to be devoted to prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm just going to kind of read the first part there where he says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And I love this verse because what this verse is telling us is that we have continual access to God. Like you can approach God anytime you want to. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to be here at church. You don't have to go through all these. You just speak to the Lord. You can pray without ceasing. It is a continual, open relationship between you and Father God. And you can talk with Him anytime you want to. And this is a conversation we get to have with God. You have access to Him all the time. That is a benefit of being a child of God. 
That is an exclusive benefit to being a child of God is that you have a relationship with him where you can access him at any time. And I believe what this verse is saying, he's not saying spend every single second you have praying. That's not what he's saying. What this verse is telling us is that prayer should always kind of be peeking over the fence to replace whatever is on your mind. So if you worry, pray. If you stress, pray. If you're anxious, pray. If you're angry, pray. If you're lonely, pray. If you're, if you're happy, take time and pray. Thank the Lord you're happy. And so that's what it means to continually pray without ceasing. You're just always having an opportunity and, and prayer is always picking over the fence, ready to take a, a thought into your mind. And so we constantly live in an opportunity where we have a conversation with God at any moment. Think of it this way. Picture that God is on the phone over here and you're taking phone calls over here. And, and, and so it's not that you hang up on God. It's just that you take a phone call over here and you come back to him and you take. So so really what praying without ceasing should look like is that it's just one conversation that never really stops. It just gets interrupted from time to time. That's what it really means to pray without ceasing. You're just always in a constant place of prayer. And every now and then you get interrupted, but your heart and mind comes right back to thinking and talking to God. Does that make sense? And so there's so many verses in the New Testament that I could reference and take you to that talks about the importance of prayer. I chose these two because really we read those and they're direct commands, direct commands to every believer that we should pray. And so if it's a direct command from Scripture, that means whatever excuse you may bring to the table is invalid. You might say, I'm too busy. I have too little time, I have too many kids, I have too many responsibilities, I have too much work, I have too, many, uh, too little of desire, I have too little of experience. Hey, it doesn't matter. If God has commanded it, Pastor Malcolm hit on this a couple weeks ago, if, it, if it's a direct command from Scripture and you are not doing it, therefore it is sin. If God has told you to do something and you are not doing it, it becomes sin. And so we have no excuses Martin Luther, I think I put the quote on your handout, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, he says, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. And so we have to look at this expectation to pray. It's also an invitation, a royal summons. If you read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto what? The throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that amazing? He says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. If you view prayer as simply as a command, as simply as a chores, and as, as something you have to do, a checklist item, then, then you're not going to get the joy out of it. But if you look at prayer as a command to now approach the throne of grace, where you may receive mercy and grace and find help in a time of need, man, that should change your whole perspective. You have access to a God who is able. And that should encourage you to, to, to want to talk to the Lord, to want to come to Him. And, and I, I, listen, we've talked about this before. The very first message I preached in this series, I said, uh, discipline without direction is, uh, like four of you remember, discipline without direction is drudgery. If we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, if we don't have a direction of where we're headed, then we don't know why we're doing it. It just becomes drudgery. But if you look at prayer as an opportunity to get alone with God and speak with him at the throne of grace, that's the direction. And all of a sudden it doesn't become drudgery. 
we, we appreciate it. Listen, when I'm traveling, Tracy always expects me to call her. Or if I'm going to be home from uh, work late, she always wants me to call her. Now, she's not doing that because she's controlling. She's not doing that because she's trying to keep tabs on me or keep her thumb on me. It's an expectation of love, right? She wants me to communicate with her. It's an expectation of love. That's what prayer is. It's not an expectation to become drudgery. It is God's expectation for believers because he loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk with you. And so his command to pray is a command of love. And you might say, well, I don't have to pray to be a Christian. I would kind of counter that and say, well, if if you're a Christian, you ought to want to pray. But, okay, you might say, I don't have to pray to be a Christian. Well, you don't have to talk to your spouse to be married either. And let's see how that relationship goes. And and so really, if you're wanting to to, uh, equip yourself with holiness and godliness and righteousness, there should be a desire in you to have fellowship with Heavenly Father, to talk with Him on a daily basis. But, But also... It's not only just a royal summons that God wants us to come to the throne of grace, but y'all know we're in spiritual warfare. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the whole armor of God. Why do we need armor? Because we're in a battle. We're in spiritual warfare. And I don't know if you know anything about warfare, but when soldiers go out to battle, they always keep in contact with the, the commander. And we have to understand, <laughs> like one writer, he put it, prayer is a walkie-talkie for warfare. Our general and commander is having us out in battle, and he wants us to talk with him. If you're not fellowshipping with God in this middle of the spiritual warfare, then what you're really doing is you're going to battle on your own resources. And I promise you, you're going to get punched in the mouth. Prayer will, will equip you and help you in this battle of spiritual warfare. And, and, and along with all of this, not only is it an expectation because Jesus Expects it not only is an expectation because because Scripture commands it, but we look at the very example of Jesus. And I didn't put that in your notes, but we look at Jesus as example in Luke chapter five, verse sixteen. It says, "And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and what prayed." prayed. Think about that, y'all. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you need to pray? And we talked about, okay, who are we trying to become? Well, we read Romans chapter 8, verse 29. All right, Paul says, Whom he did foreknow, he, all, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of who? His Son, Jesus. That, that's the whole purpose of godliness. The whole purpose of, of disciplining yourself is because you are pursuing holiness. You are trying to become Jesus in, in Christ's likeness. And so we also have to follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus prayed. And so if you're going to try to pursue Christ's likeness, then you've got to do what Christ did. Jesus prayed. And, and so you might be wondering, okay, why is my spiritual life so anemic, so weak? Well, are you actually doing the things that he's asking you to do. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? So let me give you some things, some reasons why we may suffer in our prayer life. Let me give you just five quick things on why uh, we may not pray as we should. Number one is, is, is obvious. It's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of discipline. You don't plan for prayer. You, you don't allot time for prayer. Listen, if you're going to go on a four-week vacation, I know some of y'all will be like, I wish. But if you're going to go on a four-week vacation, you just don't randomly wake up one day and say, ah, today's the day. I'm going to leave today. You didn't tell your boss. You didn't pack no bags. You don't know where you're going. You're just, no, you plan for it, don't you? you? You make sure everything's in order before you go on vacation. And here's the problem. Many of us treat prayer this way. 
We get up day after day after day. You hear messages about it. You know it's important. You know it's significant to pray. You you know it's vital to your healthy uh, spiritual growth. You know all those things. And so you keep making these promises. I'm going to start tomorrow with my prayer. I'm going to get on track with my prayer life tomorrow. But you don't plan for it. You don't set, a time, you don't set aside time. You don't set aside a, a place. You, you, you don't have a plan. And so day after day after day goes by and you never actually do it because you're not planning for it. You're not disciplining yourself. If you actually want to pray, set your alarm clock a little earlier. Clear out a space in your house and make it your prayer sanctuary, your closet. All right, plan for it. If you're not planning for it, then you're going to be in a rut. What's, what's that saying? Um, if, if, if you... If you uh, plan to fail, then, or you fail to plan, you, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And most of you, you would probably say, if most of, we're honest, most of us would probably say, sometimes I feel like my prayer life is in a rut. And, and, and really, a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. Like there's just no life, right? We just kind of get in a rut. Why? We don't have the discipline to pray. We struggle in that area. Another reason is a lack of faith, a lack of faith. I'm going to say something that probably most of us in this room would not say out loud, at least. I think some of us struggle in the area of prayer because we doubt anything will happen when we pray. Honestly, I feel like that's how some of us feel. I, I doubt anything will actually happen if I pray and we get discouraged. And you might be thinking, how do I know that? Because. If we prayed, and then 60 seconds after we say amen, God answered that prayer, there would be holes in the knees on your pants right now. Because you would not get up off your knees. Because if God answered prayer that quickly every time, you would stay on your knees praying for every little thing and every person and every sick person and every cancer patient. You would stay on your knees if God answered that quickly. But the Bible never promises that way. It never says it's going to answer prayers that way. And so we get discouraged because we don't see the answers to those prayers as quickly as we'd like. And therefore, we don't make prayer a priority, a priority in our life. And we struggle because we lack faith. And oftentimes, here's what we do. I'm guilty of this. I'll do everything I can do. And then when I finally reach the end of my resources and my ability, then I'll pray. And we make prayer a last resort. Because you're like, okay, if I can fix this, if I can do this, if I can raise the money, if I can. And after we've done everything we can do, then we're like, okay, God, I need you. And so that's that's a sure sign of a lack of faith in your prayer life. And so we have to remember two things. Number one, God is about timing, not about time. Right? Like God is not on our our schedule. He's about timing, not about time. And, And secondly, when you pray, you have to remember you're communicating in a spiritual realm. And so you might pray and then you open your eyes after you say amen and you don't see tangible evidence that that prayer was heard. Because we want physical, tangible evidence. We want to know. We want to see it. But the reality, there could be things happening behind the scenes in places you can't see. God is working, but you just may not see him working. And so we have to trust him that he knows. There there was a time, I'm going to be completely honest with you. There was a time a few years ago where I, I really struggled in my prayer life. I told somebody one time I felt like I was God's punching bag because I felt like every time I prayed, God gave me the exact opposite of what I was asking for. And it it really discouraged me to the point that I didn't even want to pray about it because I was afraid of getting the opposite answer of what I wanted. 
And, and God had to teach me a lot of things during that season of my life because I really, I just stopped praying. I'm like, God, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I read in Luke chapter 11 where he says, hey, you know, if a father, if a son comes to his father and asks for, a, a, for some bread, he's not going to give him a stone. If a son asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a serpent. And he goes on and talks about how God is a good father and a giver of good gifts. And I remember in that season of my life, I thought, God, I'm coming to you asking for bread and you keep giving me stones. You know, I felt really kind of conflicted in my prayer life. And God had to teach me, and I, I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, that if I could see what he sees and if I could know what he knows, he would give, I would give myself the same answer he gives me. He knows and he sees things I don't know and I don't see. And so I have to trust that his plan is better than mine. And it may not always be the answer I want, but I have to trust in faith that it's the answer I need. So sometimes it's a lack of faith. Thirdly, a lack of nearness to God. A lack of nearness. There's a parable Jesus gives in Luke chapter 11 about the midnight visitor. And he's really talking about a relationship and how if a friend was to help out a friend, how much more would God help out his children? And that's kind of the whole thrust behind it. But I want to read this parable from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. It says, And he said unto him, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And I read this. And I know the parable is about how, how God will answer us and when we're persistent in our prayers and that he's, he's better than a friend and all that. But really, I look at this parable, and I don't know if you would do this, but if you were in need at midnight for something, would you go knock on a stranger's door? No, you'd go to your best friend. If your next door neighbor was your best friend and you had a need, I'm sure in a desperate situation, we might go knock on our best friend's door because we have a relationship. We're not going to go knock on a stranger's door. What am I trying to tell you? If you know God as a familiar friend, you'll feel more comfortable banging on his door at midnight. Your relationship matters in your prayer life. There, there are 15 different places I've found where there are unanswered prayers in Scripture. Six of those reasons why they were unanswered has to do with the person's relationship. Your relationship to God matters. First of all, if you don't know God, then you don't have an audience with him. All right, he, he answers and comes to those who know him. But if you don't know him, then, then you really don't have an audience with him. But secondly, if you do know him and you know you're a child of God, if there's anything in your life, an unconfessed sin, a habitual sin, uh, uh, un, uh, unforgiveness or bitterness or anything like that, then here's what's going to happen. That's going to hinder your fellowship with God. It's, it's going to put a kind of a wall between you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've experienced this where I would pray and it felt like my prayers hit the ceiling and came right back down. I just felt like there was a barrier between me and God. And really, God had to kind of expose some things in my life where I had to make sure that I was right with him first. I had to make sure my, my fellowship with him was, was good. And, and, and there's, a, there's a whole lot that goes into that, but your relationship with God means a whole lot. When my relationship with God is good, and I'm close to him, and it feels like I can pray and I can almost hear his voice in an audible way, 
you don't have to motivate me to pray. You, you don't have to prod me to pray. I want to pray. When my relationship was good and, and, and we're walking together and I'm just thinking about the Lord all day and his goodness, I, 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 don't, I don't have to be motivated to pray. I want to. But when I feel f- far from God, when maybe I'm embarrassed or ashamed of something I've done, that d- desire kind of begins to wean. And that desire kind of goes away. And so what we need to realize, there's a beautiful promise in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You know what this promise is saying? It's saying, hey, if there's anything wrong with you between you and God, if you come to him and repent and confess, he'll blot out those sins. And then the promise is, Times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So I would say if there's anything in your relationship hindering between you and God, you need to confess it so that he can blot that out. And then he can give you times of refreshing. How many would love times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord? And so really your relationship matters. And and prayer is here, here. The best analogy I've heard about prayer. If I was in a boat and I throw an anchor onto the beach and I begin to pull that anchor Am I pulling the beach to me or am I pulling the boat to the beach? I'm pulling the boat to the beach. All right, wasn't a trick question. All right. Now, here's how prayer works. When I pray, I'm not pulling God, God's will into mine. I'm pulling my will into his. It restores fellowship. It restores relationship. It stores, restores communication. And so maybe you need to pray like, like David prayed in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Maybe just to get real with God and just say, God, I need to know what's going on. So maybe you're discouraged from praying because you don't have that nearness with God. Or, or maybe, number four, there's a lack of awareness of a need. You can put pride next to that one. There's a lack of awareness of need. There will be times where there's circumstances in your life that will drive you to your knees. Last March, when my wife was diagnosed with leukemia, I was driven to my knees. Nobody had to tell me to pray. Nobody had to try to motivate me to pray. I was driven to my knees. But there's also seasons of life where the bills are paid, everybody's healthy, the car's running good, the house. Hey, it's doing great. AC's working. Water heater's working. Everything's good. And in those moments when there's a lack of need, you find there's also a lack of prayer. You see what I'm saying? And so when we don't sense the need for anything, then we don't sense the need for prayer either. And, and, and so John 15, 5, Jesus is speaking and he talks about how we are to abide in him. He says, I am divine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then he says, for without me, you can do nothing. And there's going to be times in your life where that rings true. God, I can't do this without you. When I'm sitting in that hospital room with my wife and I'm looking at her hooked up and I don't know what's going to happen next. And I just simply cry, God, I can't do anything. God, I'm trusting. I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm not, I can't do this. But there's going to be other times where you can manage. You can do things in your own ability. You can do things in your own resources. You can do things in your own strength. And those are going to be the times where you're tempted to not pray. And me, me and Hunter Sharp had a conversation a while back. And we was talking about how many times we only bring the big things to God. 
You know what I'm saying? We only bring the big things to God. And we were talking, he says, you know, if you think about it, is there really such thing as a big thing to God? I said, no. He says, aren't all things small things to God? I said, yeah. And so it's big enough to worry about and it's big enough to pray about. And and, and this really came to life for me when uh, a few years ago, I I bought my truck about four or five years ago. I had it for like two days. And I found out my heater didn't work in my truck. And it was wintertime. And so I called the dealership and they said, bring it back up here. We'll fix it. I said, great. So I brought it back up and it sat at the dealership for about two and a half, three months. And they gave me a loaner vehicle, this old hoopty Saturn. It sounded like there was the exhaust had been cut off of it. The steering wheel would shake going down. The My kids were embarrassed for me to drop them off at school in it. I mean, kidding. this thing was terrible. I would be embarrassed as a car lot owner loaning this thing out. And I had to drive that thing while my car, my truck was being worked on. And I got to the point, I didn't even want to drive it no more. So I started driving and Tracy would pick me up and drop me off. We just carpooled and we left it parked. And then finally the dealership called and said, hey, your truck is ready. Uh, just come back and, and, and pick it up. I said, great. Then we started looking for the keys to that Saturn. And we couldn't find it. And you know when you can't find something, you get desperate. And you start looking in places you know it's not. The refrigerator, you're like moving stuff, you're like looking. You're going inside boxes you hadn't touched in six years, looking for it. You start accusing everybody. You don't trust nobody. What'd you do with it? Not You did it. And it just becomes this whole mess. And it went like that for about two days. And I'm thinking, Lord, we're going to have to pay to get a key made for this old hoopty car. And I remember I was sitting in Tracy's car, and uh, I hadn't prayed about this. I was sitting in Tracy's car, and I began to pray. I said, God, this is a small thing, right? This isn't a big thing. This, I lost my keys. That's a small thing. I began to pray. I said, God, I don't know where this key is. <laughs> Can you help me find this key? And I'm telling you, it was like a supernatural thing. My hand began to raise. And in Tracy's car, she had like this sunglass holder that would unfold like this. You know, you might have them in your cars. You put your sunglasses in it and you fold it back. And so my hand began to raise as I'm praying. And I hit that sunglass holder and it unfolds. And the keys to that car are sitting inside of that. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Amen. And then I called Tracy. I said, I found the key. She says, where'd you find it? I said, in the sunglass thing of your car. She said, I put it there so we wouldn't lose it. I wanted to. But really, the reality of this is God cares about the small things. And if we live in a way that we just feel like we can handle it. Listen, God wants you to talk to him about the things that bug you. The small, because all things are small things to him. Number five, there's a lack of awareness of God's greatness. A lack of an awareness of God's greatness. The less you think about the nature and the character of God, the less that you remind yourself about what Jesus did for you on that cross, the less you want to pray. It it, it coincides. It's together. There have been times, I live out in Battleground, on Battleground Mountain. I don't have no street lights. I don't have no city lights. And there's been so many times I'll walk outside and I'll just stare up at the sky, the night sky, on a clear night and there's thousands of stars. And in that moment I'm humbled. I just think about the bigness of God. And I, 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 I think about what Psalm 19.1 says where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And I began to see the expanse of all the things he's done. And I began to 
get emotional, thinking about the bigness of God, talking to, I just start talking to him. I, I love being outside, I love the outdoors, I love hunting, I love fishing. I've seen so many sunsets and sunrises. And, and in those moments, I just get in awe of God. And it will drive you to a place of prayer and thankfulness when you're constantly reminded about the bigness and the greatness of God. Listen, this, this past Sunday night, I don't know if you were here for worship night or night of worship. It was awesome. Uh, I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, and, and me and my wife were sitting right over there. And the choir singing. I, my son got baptized that morning. I got to baptize my son. My son came to faith and got to baptize him. Man, I was on cloud nine. And I'm sitting over there with my wife and my, my boy. My daughter was at home. She wasn't feeling well, so she stayed at the house. But, but I'm sitting there and we're singing. We're, we're just singing and worshiping. And I just happened in the middle of my worship. I looked down. I see my little boy who had just gotten saved, who I just had the opportunity to baptize. And I look to my right, and I see my wife with her little curly hair coming all back after all that chemo and stuff, growing back, being healthy. And I just began to thank God in that moment. I began to talk with him. I began to be just so thankful for his blessings over my life and thankful for the blessings over my family and the way he's cared for us and the way he's surrounded us with people. And man, I just I couldn't quit thinking and praising him and thanking him for what he's done for me. I'm telling you, as long as you keep in your in your front of your mind the bigness and the greatness and the goodness of God, it'll drive you to prayer. And so you might need to say, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation or Lord, let me remember how good you are. So, there might be another reason why we struggle to pray, and that could be simply we don't know how to pray. We just don't know how. Even the disciples, when the disciples were Jesus, they simply asked in, in Luke eleven chapter, uh, Luke chapter eleven verse one. They said, "Lord, teach us to pray." I mean, these are followers of Jesus, and, and they're saying, "Lord, teach us to pray." We we want to know how to pray. And so there is a reality that, yeah, a, a new believer may feel inadequate. They may not feel like they have the knowledge on how to pray. They may feel like, I don't know what to say. I may not know how to pray. What if I say the wrong things? And, 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 and they don't understand that prayer is just a conversation with God. And, and, and the reality is, this best way to learn how to pray, number one, is just by praying. It seems simple. It seems obvious. But if you want to learn how to pray, just start praying. If you want to learn a second language, the best way to start learning a second, a second language is to begin trying to speak that language. The more you speak it, the more you learn it, the more proficient you get at it. And so that's how prayer works. Uh, if you go and you study music by watching a music professor play the piano, I promise you, you will not learn piano that way. You've actually got to touch the piano first. And so prayer, if you want to get more confident in your prayer life, you've got to begin to pray. Uh, think, think of an airplane. An airplane is a whole lot easier to guide and maneuver in the air than it is on the ground. And and so that is how the spirit that indwells you works. As you begin to pray, he begins to come and guide you and help you. And so you just got to begin praying to allow the spirit to help you and and, and speak through you and speak to you in those moments. Another Another way is just simply by pondering on scripture. I put next to that meditation. We we talked about the soap study. Y'all remember soap? All right, we're going to refresh your mind. Soap. The S stands for Scripture. O, observation. A, application. And it ends with P, prayer. 
All right, this is a beautiful way. If you want to encourage your prayer life, develop a stronger prayer life, I, I would encourage you doing a soap method. Uh, if you take time during the day to read your Bible, it will enhance your prayer life because you'll go from, from Bible intake to now you're going to prayer. You're going from meditating on Scripture. This allows us now to take what God has said to us and we think deeply on what we just read. We digest it. We put it in us. And now we take a time to have meaningful prayer with God. God, this is what I just read. Here's how I'm asking you to apply it to my life. God, help me. And so you transition from Bible to prayer. And a great example of this, there's a, a man named George Mueller who was alive in the 1800s, was a phenomenal man of prayer. His prayer life is, is famous because God called him to start uh, uh, orphanages. And when God put on his heart to start an orphanage, he had $2.50 to his name. And so George Mueller began to pray. And out of nowhere, donors came. And initially, they gave $700,000 to start an orphanage. And, and so he began this orphanage. He lived to the age of 92 years old. By the time he died at 92 years old, some $82 million had gone through his hands. And this ministry grew and flourished. And they've given reports that said that 122,000 people had been taught in the school supported by that money. 282,000 Bibles, 1.5 million New Testaments had been distributed by means of that money. 112 million religious books, pamphlets, and tracts had been circulated. Missionaries had been aided in all parts of the world. And no less than 10,000 orphans had been cared for by the means of George Mueller and his ministry. Huge. And there's countless testimonies where George Mueller would pray, but he wouldn't let anybody know his needs. That was something he, he was strict about not letting anybody know what he needed. He would just take time and pray about it. And every time God would answer. And so people studied his prayer life, trying to figure out the secret to his prayer life. What made it work? And, and this is what George Mueller said. He said at one time he, he had a, a prayer life that was kind of stagnant. He'd get up in the morning. He would, he would just immediately get dressed and begin to pray. Uh, but then he changed things up. And he began to read his Bible and study on Scripture before he prayed. And I'm going to read you what he, what he wrote. He said, I saw the most important thing was to give myself to the reading of God's word and to meditation on it. That thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed. And that thus by means of the word of God, whilst meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began therefore to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning, the first thing I did after having asked in, a few word, uh, asked in a few words of the Lord's blessing upon His precious Word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it. The result of this is that there was always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful if not happy state." And so he began to talk about how he used to pray without reading the Bible first. He just got down on his knees and prayed. He said, often I spent a quarter of an hour or a half an hour, or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc. And often after having suffered much from wandering of mind, have y'all ever prayed and your mind begin to wander and you, you kind of kind of catch yourself and bring it back into focus? You start thinking about all your things you got to do, and you start thinking about, and you got, oh, I got to start praying. This is what he's talking about. He says, I, I would struggle. My mind would begin to wonder. 
and he says, so uh, I had wondering of mine for the first 10 minutes or a quarter of an hour, even half an hour. And after that, I only then really began to pray. He says, I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. For my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experimental fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend. So he said, I start by reading God's word and meditating on scripture. And as I begin to meditate and study God's word, I begin to pray his word. He says, this this is what has helped my prayer life. I believe it worked for George Mueller. It'll probably work for us, too. I think there's benefit in reading God's Word, studying God's Word, meditating on God's Word, and then using that as the catalyst that takes us into prayer. And and so uh, I I would say meditating, pondering on Scripture is another way to benefit your prayer life. Thirdly, by persistently praying. Persistently praying. Uh, we, we, we We have given up too quickly a lot of times. If we go back to Luke chapter 11 about the, the midnight visitor and the, the man that goes to his friend's house, in verse 8, in verse 8 of Luke chapter 11, he says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Importunity it means persistence. It means his friend wouldn't take a no for an answer. He's like, I need some bread. I need some bread. His friend inside is saying, go away. It's late. He says, I need some bread. And so finally the friend gets up. He says, because of his persistence, I'll give him what he needs. Listen, we have to have a shameless persistence in our prayer life. Persistence makes it important. It communicates that it's important to you. It communicates it's important to God. And, and, and And he didn't stop asking. There was a time, you probably did this with your own kids. But my, my kids, I give them the, the catalog at Christmas time to go circle everything they want. You know what I'm saying? And usually they don't do it anymore, but they used to have the Toys R Us magazine. And it would have everything in it. It would have diapers and strollers and cribs and every toy you could think of. And I remember about four years ago, I had my son Carter and, I, and Addie. I, went, I had them go circle everything. But my son Carter circled every single thing in that catalog. <laughs> you know what that showed me? He's smart, yeah. He's like, I'm just going to, I got good odds here. Um, It showed me that really nothing was important to him. He circled everything, therefore nothing was important. But there was this one toy he would not stop talking about. At the time, he'd watch a show called Lion Guard. It was kind of a knockoff spinoff of The Lion King. And he loved this show, and they had a Lion Guard treehouse. And he would constantly talk about this Lion Guard treehouse he wanted for Christmas. And so because he kept talking about it, what do you think that made it? Important. I knew out of everything he was asking for, he wanted that treehouse right there. And so Black Friday shopping came and I saw it on discount and I bought it. Because my boy, out of everything, that's the only thing he would talk about. And so therefore I knew it was important. Listen, I think there's times that we give up too quickly. That we don't persist in prayer. That we just don't keep on knocking and keep on knocking. we got to keep knocking. And, and there's a reason why. Sometimes a failure to persist in prayer proves that we were not really serious about that request in the first place. We just kind of give up. And, and, and oftentimes God, here's what happens. God wants us to persist in prayer because that requires faith. If God was to answer your request immediately, there would not be any faith built up. But if you persist in prayer, he's developing faith in you. 
He's developing Christ-like patience in you. And, all, and that's who we're trying to become, right? We're trying to become like Christ. And so if we persist in prayer, it basically is showing God this is important and you're willing to wait and trust Him. And you just keep on knocking. And you keep on knocking. You don't give up. You keep persisting. And I believe, I believe prayer is worth any amount of discouragement, any amount of frustration, because after, after you get your answer, you're going to be thankful that you persisted. But the enemy is going to try to tempt you to give up. He's going to try to convince you that God don't care or God's not able. But you just keep on knocking. And so if you discipline yourself to pray, then you are disciplining yourself to godliness. And if you're disciplining yourself to godliness, then it's not drudgery. It becomes a delight. You enjoy it. So let me give you a couple tools. I'm going to give you a couple tools. Maybe you're like, okay, I need some help in this area of prayer. I really want to develop a prayer life. I really struggle in this area. How, how, is there a format? Is there a direction? Now, there's not really a wrong or right way to do this, but I'm going to help you out. Because remember, the disciple said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he gives them the model prayer. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 6. And so I kind of got a breakdown of the model prayer there on your handout. And, and, and so he simply starts out, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He goes on, Thy kingdom come. Verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us our debts and our sins. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom. So this way is, the way it's broken down is like this. I have it on your notes. In verse 9, it's basically you're recognizing who God is. God, you're my Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. You're, you're giving adoration to Him. You're recognizing Him. And then you move on, hallowed be thy name. You're praising Him. Giving Him praise for who He is. God, you are big. God, you are good. You are a powerful creator and sustainer of all things. And then you move on to submission. Thy kingdom come. God, I'm surrendered to you today. Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. Lord, help me follow you. Help me obey you. Help me be obedient to you, Father. And then you move on to supplication and intercession, which are fancy words for saying praying for yourself and praying for other people. He says, give us this day our daily bread. You begin to ask, make your request known unto God. And then you move into confession. Forgive us our sins. And so we move into a place of confession. God, here's where I failed you. Here's where I struggled. Here's where my thoughts have been lately. Here's where my attitude has been lately. Lord, forgive me. And then we move into verse 13, uh, 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 praying about deliverance or spiritual warfare. What is really attacking you in the moment? You bring that known to God. Bring it up to his attention. God, uh, hey, lead us not into temptation, Lord. Here's where I've been struggling. And then we end with praise again in verse 13c. For thine is the kingdom. God, you are big, you are powerful. It is your kingdom we are worshiping and expanding and praising. And so that's, that's the model prayer simply broke down. I, I didn't do a whole lot of thorough breaking down, but that's pretty much the format. Uh, he, he's, he's saying, okay, give praise, give adoration, uh, uh, submit yourself, pray for yourself and pray for others and, and confess and, then, and, and, and ask for deliverance and, and help in spiritual warfare and then end with praise. I took a class in, in college called Spiritual Formations. And Dr. Jumper was my professor. And Dr. Jumper gave us what was called the Acts method. And uh, it was a fantastic, I loved this method because you would actually use it in a journal. I would write it out. And it's a beautiful way to just enhance your prayer life. So if you want this tool, this is an awesome tool as well. But Acts stands for this. A is adoration, which means praise. You start off your prayer with just giving praise to God. Just thanking Him, right? Praising God. And then you move to C, which is confession. 
Remember, we're trying to restore relationship with him. So if you have some kind of unconfessed sin in your life, you want to take advantage of that time in prayer and confess anything that is known to you. Make it known to God as well to say, God, here's something I'm struggling in and I'm agreeing with you that this is a struggle in my life. So God, help me. And so you spend time in confession and then you move to T, which stands for Thanksgiving. You have does anybody have anything thankful to God for anybody here? Say, God, I'm thankful for something. You spend time thanking God. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for healing. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my house. Thank you for the food I have on my plate. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for my friends. And you just start just thanking God for all of his goodness and blessings. And then you end with supplication. Supplication, again, is a fancy word for just asking. Asking for yourself, asking for others. Just bringing people up by name. And so I would actually, when, when I was in this class, we'd had journals, prayer journals. And, and we would just write down that kind of down the page. We'd start with A, and we'd write adoration. And then we'd write down all the things that, that we were praising God for. Then we moved to confession and thanksgiving and supplication. And here's what the beautiful thing was about a prayer journal, is I kept that thing for about two years. I was consistent in it for two years. But I could go back in that prayer journal and read how God answered prayer after prayer after prayer. It was like a little, a, 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 a little reminder of God's goodness. So even when those times where I felt discouraged, I could go back and remind myself, God, you ain't failed me. <laughs> You've heard me every time. You've been faithful. Because sometimes we get, short mem- we get short memories. We get amnesia, spiritual amnesia. We forget how good God is. Israel did it all the time. You know, they're constantly being delivered by God and then constantly running back to idols and all this other stuff. And God constantly delivered them. And, and so to, to keep yourself from getting spiritual amnesia, maybe it's good to keep a journal. Write down the things that God has been doing in your life and write down the prayer requests that are, that are serious to you and be persistent and then give God a, a daily attention. Because here's the thing, if you want to pursue godliness, I believe prayer is one of the most important disciplines to develop in your life. Would you agree? I've been encouraged. Some of y'all have stopped me in the four years and said, hey, we've been reading our Bible. I'm like, thank you, Lord. That's awesome. I've been, I'm glad you've been reading your Bible. I, I want to hear some others stop me and say, hey, I just want to let you know, we've been praying every night. We ain't been doing it before this, but we, we started praying every day. And I, I'm just so encouraged. I cannot wait to hear the testimonies of how God has responded to people who have been praying. I cannot wait to hear about that. So, church, uh, we're going to pursue the disciplines. Are you ready? Amen. Amen.